Well, I had a long drive back yesterday. I went to go see my son in Grands, and we just had a wonderful time, wonderful time there. Got back. Now, when I'm driving, I try not to drink too much water so that I'm not having to stop constantly. But I purposely try to dehydrate myself a little bit (laughs) so that it's not a problem. However, last night, because I had dehydrated myself a little before going, didn't drink enough water while I was there, hadn't taken all my vitamins, I was potassium deficient. And the cramps in my body let me know. I only slept a couple hours. The cramps were grabbing me. They would not let me go. I was grabbing potassium pills, drinking water. (laughs) So if y'all hear me, if y'all just for a moment see me go to my leg and grab it, you'll know what's happening. (laughs) I'm doing much better today. But you need potassium and you need to make sure you drink water. That is not a fun experience. Today we are in the book of Timothy as we're going to be here for a while. And we're going to continue today with verse 4 where we left off last time, chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read again verses 1 through 7, but we're going to concentrate today on verses 4 through 7. If I start calling off names and saying hi to people, I just know I'm going to get in trouble. So I'm just going to say hi, everybody. So I don't get myself in trouble. Say, Pastor, you didn't call my name. So I'm not calling people's names. I'm just saying everybody. Hello. (laughs) Right where you are, if you would just stand briefly without going any place, would you just turn to the person that you're standing next to? If you don't know them, just give them your name. Take 30 seconds to give your name to a person that you do not know. And that's just... Now, everybody that don't know, that's Sister Barbara right up there. Say hi. <laughs> Sister Cass up there, too. <laughs> <She's> up. <laughs> you may be seated. I'm going to have a word of prayer for the word. We are grateful today, Lord, to you. We pray that you bless the word. We thank you that you have already allowed us to be able to sing praises to your name and to be able to be here in fellowship with the church So today, would you help us? Would you be with us? Would you lead us and would you guide us? We do give you all the glory for who you are, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this is how it reads. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. I did read a couple of other passages last week from Acts, but I'm not going to read those right now. Last week, I gave you the first point and the point that we addressed 
was your aspirations must be vetted with good character. Your aspirations must be vetted with good character. Uh, The second point today that we want to focus on is your aspirations must be vetted with good behavior in the home and outside the home. Your aspirations must be vetted with good behavior in the home and outside the home. We have often been told that we can be anything we want to be, right? You've heard that. You can be anything you want to be. You could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. You could be anything. But, but I, I want to challenge that thought today. I want to challenge you. Can you really be anything you want to be? We tell our children that you can be anything you want to be. But I have news for you. Even when we say that there really are limitations in regards to what you really can be. You see, there are some people that may not have the aptitude for certain things, certain positions. There are some students and some people that may have studied all their life and they just can't get a particular subject or a particular matter. So rather than for them trying to be a doctor, they may decide to go actually into another field. I I tell you this, when you have a situation that requires the best care, you want the best person for that job, right? Now, I'll give you an example. I'll just take a real example from from myself. Back in the early 2000s, I was playing basketball at a gym, me and my friend Juan, and we playing 21. Some of y'all don't know about no, nothing about no 21. If y'all grew up in Marin City at the Rec, we played 21. Pep, Adrian, the Torres, the fellas. And if you missed, got 20 and missed 21, you missed the free throw, you went back to 13. But we were outside playing, and after about the fifth game, it was cloudy. I heard a pop, and I stopped, and I said to Juan, did you hear that? And he paused and said, yes, I did. And all of a sudden, this excruciating pain hit my right leg. I fell to the ground in agony. <laughs> he helped me inside. The manager called my wife at home. She came to the Redwood Club in Petaluma. We left my car there and took me to Kaiser. They wheeled me in. Thank God they didn't make me sit out there for hours. The doctor came in and he did one thing. He grabbed my calf and squeezed it. Well, he did two things and grabbed the other one. He says, you have ruptured your Achilles. It was worse and is worse than a break. It was hurting like crazy. And he says, well, because you are still, you know, young seem to be in good health, you know, they are going to more than likely want to do surgery. So we got, made sure everything was fine and went in and and, and set the appointment up for the surgery. Now, let me say this. I wanted to make sure that the doctor that was going to be operating on me had some experience in the position in that hospital and the fact that he was going to be operating on me. I didn't want a doctor 
who said, no, I didn't really study. I didn't go to class. I just copied off some papers of my friends. And, you know, I kind of just coasted through. I didn't want that kind of doctor. I want a doctor who was at the top of his class, who had done several of those and who knew what he did. I didn't want a doctor once he opened me up and said, no, wait a minute, let me go look at the book real quick. I didn't want to have a doctor, even though I was unconscious. I would have woke up if he said, oops, I would have opened my eyes. I wanted the best. So the surgery was done, and I woke up and, I won't say screamed, I made a deep guttural expression. I gave a deep guttural expression of, ouch! The anesthesia had worn off. It felt like I had torn the Achilles all over again. It's the fact that the surgery happened. It now needed time to heal. Now let me just tell you this as I continue on here. There was a process with the rupture that I thought, man, within the next month or so, I'm going to be out playing softball doing some other thing. No. It took up to a year for me to be healed. And, and, at, and the crazy thing is when the healing process was taking place, they said, no, we want you to come back in two weeks. And what they did, they put a cast on my, on my leg and on my ankle to keep it from moving. They didn't have any pressure on it. The next time I came back, they took that cast off, started raising my foot until I felt tension. And when I said, ouch, it says good. Then he recast it at that position. And then they did it again until it got to a certain point. And then when I didn't need the cast anymore, they put a boot on me. I am glad that God gave some people the ability to know what they're doing and to be able to learn the body so that they could help you and me. <laughs> Paul told Timothy that everybody cannot be an overseer, Timothy. There are some qualifications that a person must have in order to be an overseer. Paul's instructions to Timothy looks at the consistency of a man if he is a father, because the, con the issue is this, remember, an overseer did not have to be married, but if he was and had a family, he is saying this is what is to be expected, and this is what one has to exhibit and exude if he is going to be an overseer. Now we went through some last week, in verse 4, he said he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. He does not mean that the overseer has to be perfect, but there has to be a quality that the family is able to benefit from the man that is in that house so that he has his children that's doing what he says needs to be done. Now, one of the things that we have to recognize that as parents, if you have children, it is sometimes a hit and miss situation. <laughs> sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. But you work at it and you work to the point to where if you blow it, you can go back and say, you know what, I didn't do that quite right. But the idea is that a father is one that was instructing his children. And Paul says, Timothy... The one that wants to be an overseer, if he's a father, he's got to make sure that his children obey him. 
He must be one that superintends. That word superintend means that it is a person, I should say, that has oversight over someone or something. It is a person who manages his household. The issue that the situation that was taking place in Ephesus was that the leaders that were there were not qualified, some of them, and they were causing such a ruckus that Paul says, Timothy, here is the character. He doesn't even really go into all the job descriptions I mentioned last week, but the character is important, and you must make sure that he has children that are respectful. When we were coming up, and even my dad, even though my dad was not raised by his, his mom, Daisy, because if he was, he would have been a mess. More of a mess than when he got saved. Because my dad got saved. You didn't want to meet him before he got saved. But Daisy was not the one to raise him. Daisy was one of those individuals, you get, you, you look at her the wrong way, see something. She said, I got my gun at the house. <laughs> that was his mama. He was raised by, I believe, an aunt who believed in peach limb therapy. Weeping Willow, the special name, Weeping Willow. Yep, he weeped <laughs> from the willow. <laughs> and for whatever reason, he felt it was necessary to pass that on to us. I don't know why he thought that. It's bad when you are told to go get your own switch. Come back with some skimpy thing. Well, that was more my mom. She told you to go get your switch. We're going to take a long time coming back. Hope she forget. <laughs> but he was raised by his aunt, and as a result of some instructions, it helped him later on when he did get saved because he was in a better environment than he would have been with his mom. Thank God for that. So Paul gives instructions that in the household there has to be certain procedures and certain standards. And if the father is there, he has to be the one to carry this out. So Paul says he must manage his own household well. Isn't it interesting that he starts in the home? Why? Because the church is really made up of people that live in homes. Children grow up. Families grow go through various things, but it is people from the families that come to church. But Paul starts with the home. Do you not know that's where the real ministry begins? In the home. And so Paul starts right there, and then he moves towards the church. So an overseer, if he is married, if he has children, has to make sure that that is what takes place. They must be respectful. Paul's instruction is that you as a father must give very specific instructions in a loving way and that you can model humility. Do you not know that it requires humility in the home for parents to raise children? And again, Paul is not saying that it's easy, but it does mean that there is a standard that, that has to be upheld. Another word for manager that Paul is stating is that he has to be a governor. He has to be one that governs the house. Not one that is, that's mean necessarily or one that is overbearing, but that one who commands respect 
so that when something goes wrong, he can say, that's not allowed here, or you need to clean that up. There are times when I wish I could do some things over again, because I didn't get it quite right. And then some things I did get right. But one of the things that is so interesting that one has to remember is that parents You are actually raising children to one day be responsible adults so that if they have their families, they can be ones to take care of their family. So raise them in such a way to where when they get older and leave that they can be responsible. One of the things that I I didn't always learn is that when I would have consequences and I say I would never do that again, I'd go out and do it again. I thought I would get away. I don't know why I did that all that. My, my parents would go out and make sure you sweep down them stairs before I get back. And I go play. And I would be reminded when I see them coming up the hill. Why is that the first thing that came to my mind? The thing that I didn't do. That they told me to do. I was, oh, I was supposed to do that. And there I'm trying to get it done before they get back. It would have been easy just to do it. But that's what we do. <laughs> but we are to help instruct. So Paul says, Timothy... The overseer must be one that is a good governor or manager, one that superintends. In verse number five, he says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, notice what he says. If one does not know how to manage his household, how will he then be able to care? Do you not know that you learn how to care for the church overseer by how you manage your household? So there's a managing, but then there's a caring that takes place of the church. There's a, there's a quality that one recognizes that when you are working with people, they are adults. They are human beings. There are some individuals that think because they have positions of power that they can lord it over them and rule over them. That's not what Paul is saying. The overseer must be one that has a heart of love and compassion, and then at times when he has to set limits, he can do it. So the overseer is one that cares for the body of Christ. Paul says if he can't take care of his family or have the proper respect, how can he take care of a larger group in a loving and caring way? Again, it does not mean that there are not difficulties within the family, but it does mean that one has set the boundaries and the limits so that there is a respect that the children have within the household. The overseer must be one that loves people. I think one of the things about my dad, well, that was a trait that he possessed, was that he loved people. He loved loved people. He loved feeding people. Do you not know that he would invite people to the house and he sometimes would sit there and not eat because he loved to watch people eat his food? He loved cooking. He loved people. You could be at, come to the church and be a first-time visitor, and he would say, come and go home with me. That's just who he was. He loved people. He could go down to the front and be accepted because he loved people. He could play dominoes. He could play cards. No, he wasn't betting. He wasn't betting. <laughs> he could shoot pool, play ping pong, and not lose his salvation Because why? He loved people. The church has to be a place where the overseer loves people. Paul is saying that the care that one has to give has to be for the well-being of the flock. You see, because in in the role of overseer, 
Timothy, you're going to have to deal with a lot of different situations. You're going to have to deal with a lot of different personalities. And you must be one that cares for the body of Christ. In verse number six, he says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, the term new convert, neophytos, it means to be something that's newly planted. He cannot be a newly planted convert. Why? Because the tendency would be to be puffed up and become conceited because of a position. Have you known some people to get to be, you know, at a certain place and then they get this great promotion, maybe in this company. And all of a sudden they act like they don't know you anymore. They can't talk to you. You'd be going, what's up? You are who? (laughs) We can never forget where we come from. And at the same time. We must understand that yet there is still a standard that a person may have who may be elevated that may not be able to do just the same thing, but it does not mean that that person has to become snobbish. But a new convert is oftentimes in danger of becoming conceited because of the role. So Paul says, be careful that when a a person becomes a believer and is newly planted as a believer, that he's not given the role of overseer. He makes a very interesting point because he may become puffed up and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I'll be finished in about five minutes. Now, there are two different views related to this statement of fall into or under the condemnation of the devil. Two primary things that comes up. One, some commentators believe that it refers to the pride. It refers to the pride in the fall of Satan and therefore the judgment that awaits him. That's one idea, but that's not the most popular thinking because verses 6 and 7 seem to go together. The second idea is that Satan sets traps, and when one is blinded, because when we talk about a new convert, they oftentimes are blinded with their pride, that Satan can set traps to trip them up so that they fall into the snare that he has. So let's read verses 6 and 7 together. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What is Paul saying? That an overseer that's placed in the position has to be one that is temperate, self-controlled, that he is not a new convert so that when he is elevated to that position, it won't go to his head so that he becomes conceited and therefore face the consequences of what, the, what Satan has set for him. You see, the enemy of our souls oftentimes sets traps for us. Now, I've told you over and over again, Satan never has to tempt me with peas and lima beans. I don't like them. I've told you that several times. Peas and lima beans, they are not a temptation for me. But apple pie, (laughs) ice cream, sweets, that's a problem. (laughs) You see, the enemy of our soul knows where your weak spots are spiritually. So in the flesh, physically, we have these things. But spiritually, he knows where our weaknesses are. He knows how to tap into them. And what he does, he will set traps For you so that he will trip you up so that you fall. And then he'll stand back and say, look at that. God, look look at that. See, that's why you can't trust them. (laughs) 
and why he himself is setting the trap. And so the, the overseer has to be one that watches not only for himself, but watches for the flock. So it is the belief that when it speaks of falling under the condemnation of the enemy, it's for the traps that he sets for believers. I want you to know this as I bring this to a conclusion for today. You cannot be a human being and not have tests. You cannot have, be a human being and not face trials. But here's something I want you to keep in mind. With every temptation, God provides an escape. If you are careful to watch, it's oftentimes a very small window. But let's say that you have a real problem in an area. And you get tempted in whatever area that you know will cause God to be displeased. Watch because there will be a way of escape from that if you watch carefully. But that window oftentimes will close if you don't take it. And so that's why we have to be very, very careful in regards to things that tempt us that displease God. So Paul says to Timothy, the overseer must be very mindful. Why? Because the enemy will set a trap. For the overseer, so that he will fall, that he will fail. Always remember this, the enemy is not your friend. Do you know some people that they're your friend when they're around you, but the moment they go around the corner, they're going to join with somebody else and talk about you. <laughs> Have you ever ran into a person that just said that you ran around the corner and you heard your name being called in a not, not a nice way? Well, the enemy is always doing something to cause you to fail. But I want you to know this, for the overseer that oversees the body of Christ, he has to watch as well. Why? Because the enemy is real. But the Bible says, greater is he that is within you than he, Satan, that's in the world. So for a person that just knows Christ, first of all, the Savior, they have a protection in regards to God protecting and tempering what they go through. But understand, there's a window. So please don't think you won't be tempted or tested. Uh, Please understand that tests await you to make sure that you always remember that God is the one that you are dependent upon. Amen. May God bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. What I'm going to do right now is Brother George is getting ready. I want to offer a prayer right now, a closing prayer. When Paul was dealing with the church, his ultimate focus and goal was that people would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the responsibility of the overseer to be sure that they presented the gospel and and the word wherever, wherever they may have been teaching from, but to preach the word of God so that people would hear. The way that people believe is by hearing The word of God. And so Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy understood the overseer had to be faithful. Why? Because ultimately people need to be saved. People make a big thing about how do I be saved? Just says, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. And began to live for him. That's it. And began to walk it out. And so it requires a person to be faithful. So I would just like for you to bow your heads right where you are. For Lord, those who may not know you today as Savior, it is my prayer that they will... Just say this prayer with me. God, forgive me of my sins. A sinner, I pray that you will come to my heart, my life, and be my Savior. That you will take my unrighteousness and give me your righteousness. 
then help me to be able to live according to your word. And so that even when I blow it, I can repent and ask that, God, you forgive me. We honor you and we give you praise in the powerful and the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.